Our sermon today is entitled, For You, and it comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. So this week, we start our sermon series through 1 Peter, which I've titled, Encouragement to the Scattered. Peter is writing to largely Gentile church plants throughout the known world. Now, Peter is writing this letter from Rome, a Rome into which Christians would soon come under the persecution of Nero. A Rome in which Peter himself would soon die. And he's writing to churches who are, who are scattered, right? They're not, they're not in close proximity to each other. And they're also they're, they're facing hardships. And so Peter writes this letter as an encouragement to them, an encouragement to the scattered church going through hardship. As we read it, as we work through it, may it also be an encouragement to us, a church scattered and facing our own versions of hardship. But here's the thing about Peter's encouragement. It's not necessarily always the kind of encouragement that we're hoping for. There are moments in this book, in this letter, that will fill us with wonder at the grace and provision that the Lord has poured out over us. And there are also moments that will probably offend us. Peter tackles some hard topics. He broaches some difficult conversations in this letter to the suffering church. And as we go through this book, we'll be working through these divisive topics and we will be challenged by them. But ultimately, ultimately, let us remember that Peter did not write this letter to divide the scattered church, to to spread it out, but to encourage her. And so let us see it through the same eyes and read it through that same heart. May God have grace on us that we would understand his heart and his call and that we would be blessed in our understanding. With that, we begin our series in 1 Peter with the first chapter reading again from verses 1 through 12. We read the word of the Lord. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. That ends the reading. Let us pray. God, I thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Something that that all great communicators know is that if they want their message to be understood, to, to resonate, they need to understand the context into which they are speaking. They need to understand the life circumstances that their audience finds themselves in so that what is being communicated will will move past just the ears and and into the heart of the listeners. Now, my sons, you know, they they love to run. And they do so quite often. And it always makes me nervous because they're young and their balance isn't always that great. How often have I seen my sons run on pavement, catch their foot on a rock and lose their balance and fall, scraping their knees and, and smashing their hands hard into the sidewalk. And then comes a little bit of blood leaking through the broken skin. Now as the father, I I know that these wounds are not fatal, but I also know that my children are in pain. And so how do I communicate with them in a way that will recognize the hurt that they are experiencing, but at the same time, help them move forward to not rest in the hurt, but to recognize it for what it is, deal with it, for what it is, and then accept this new reality, this broken skin, this, this bit of blood, this stinging pain, and then learn to, to deal with it, to learn from it, to move on in spite of it. Mainly, for those little cuts and falls, it comes down to encouragement. Encouraging my children that the pain will not last forever. Letting them know that they will recover. This is not a fatal blow but that also this won't be the last time that they get hurt in this manner. That this won't be the last time that they trip and fall, and this will not be the last time that they bleed. But mostly, I I encourage them with the knowledge that I am with them. That I will help them through it. That I, as their father, know the pain that they are going through. And that I will walk with them as they themselves walk through it. Encouragement. Encouragement. That is what Peter is doing in our text this morning. He understands the context of those to whom he is writing this letter. He may not be experiencing it himself. He may not be a Gentile in in a church that is far separated, distanced from the rest of the Christian church, but he understands that they are. And though he may not be a Gentile and he may not be isolated, scattered and alone, he knows what it's like to suffer. And so though he is far from them, though he is nowhere near these churches that he is writing to, he understands, he knows what they need to hear. For Peter knows the paths that the suffering mind walks. He knows that when bad things happen, when we, or when bad things happen, we we try to, or we tend to try to find someone else to blame. Sometimes that blame is directed at God because God is all-powerful and all-knowing. And so it follows that he has the power and the ability to stop whatever hardship we're facing. And sometimes, sometimes that blame is directed at ourselves. 
We know that God's desire is for us, or we know what God's desire is for us, that that we be holy and blameless, that we be like Christ, perfect and untemptable. And we also know that we haven't been very good followers. We aren't holy, but instead are altogether broken. We aren't blameless as much as we are to blame. We are nothing like Christ. Instead of being perfect, we are incredibly flawed. And as far as being untemptable, even the Word brings us shame. We know that we have failed and we have fallen time and time again. So we have earned this hardship, right? This is where our mind goes. We have, we have failed in our walk, and as we journey down the path of the suffering mind, it becomes less of a path and more of a rabbit hole. And soon, like my kids, when they see the blood begin to seep through their torn skin, we begin to lose hope, we lose reason, we begin to be carried away by the currents of fear, doubt, and panic. Can you relate to that? Do you understand that? Is that all too familiar? Do the circumstances of your life, the journey that is behind, and the fear of the journey ahead influence how you think God sees you? Do you think that the hardships you are encountering reflect God's faltering love for you? Do you sometimes worry deep down that you you aren't doing enough? Do you sometimes worry that you can never do enough, that you will never be enough, that since you can't be enough, that God will move on and abandon you? Again, Peter knows the path that the suffering mind walks. And so he starts this letter off with a massive dose of encouragement. Peter first addresses the letter to the elect who are scattered, to the Christians who are alone and isolated. And he says, hey you, let me remind you of a few things. Know that you have been chosen by God the Father. And know that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you, is building you up in Christ, is making you like Christ, is is, is shaping you and forming you so that you are more like Christ. Christ, so you desire what he desires and so that you are more obedient to him, you who have been sprinkled with his blood. What an encouragement. What a blessing to know that God has chosen us, that he loves us, that even though we can't be perfect, he has sent his spirit to help us in our fight against the sin that lives in us and so so that we desire to do the things that he wants us to do. And that he is the one who is shaping us to look more like Christ, to act more like Christ. And then, and then we get that awkward image at the end, right? Sprinkled in his blood. That's an interesting and fairly graphic, slightly disturbing mental image, isn't it? What is, what is Peter talking about here? He's talking about baptism. He's talking about the means of grace that God poured out over us, the faith that he gave us through our baptism. When Peter writes, sprinkled with his blood, he is applying the work of the blood of Christ, the death on the cross for our sins, and in our place, his blood that that covers us and, and covers our sins through faith, he's applying the work of the blood of Christ via the vehicle of baptism. You know, maybe maybe you struggle with that. 
I mean, the word baptism isn't used here, right? But we get water references all through Scripture that talk about being washed clean, washed with the waters of regeneration. Paul even uses the Israelites passing through the Red Sea in Exodus, an Old Testament reference. Before baptism was instituted, he uses that as a baptism reference. When we see words like washing and sprinkling in Scripture and the context of the passage is a cleansing, a covering, when the context is grace and the fruit of faith, the author is referencing baptism. Or I should say, when faith is the fruit, the author is referencing baptism. And we'll see this echoed later in this book of 1 Peter, in this letter. We'll see it in, in, in a few weeks. Peter is in essence saying, remember your baptism. Remember the faith that God has given you. Remember that God has chosen you, that he is doing the work through the spirit of making you more like Christ. And remember Christ's work on your behalf. Peter, right off the bat, in his introduction, is affirming the church of where their hope rests. It doesn't rest in you. It doesn't rest in your works. All of it, all of your hopes, all of the promises of God fully rest in God. And then he goes on to make this even more clear. As we make our way through the, the next chunk of verses, and I encourage you to read them, to, to rest in them, maybe, maybe later today, maybe later this week, or, or sometime when your spirit is heavy and, and doubt is wrecking you, and you are wandering the paths of the suffering mind, read these verses, read this beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you read them, as you rest in them, I encourage you to ask yourself a question that my seminary professors would constantly encourage each of their students to ask themselves as we read the Word of God. That question is this. Who is doing the verbs? Who is doing the verbs? Who is the one doing the action? Is it the isolated and alone church members? Is it, is it those who have been scattered and feel weak and weary and discouraged and hurting? Is it those who are bogged down by the hardships of the world? Is Peter encouraging people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and just get better at doing life? Get better at doing ministry? To finally shake off their sin and live their best life now? Is that what Peter is encouraging? No. No. All through this passage, who do we see doing the verbs? Who is doing the action? It's God. All of it is God. He is the one that we read in verse 3 that has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We aren't Christians because we earned it or deserved it, but because we have been given new birth on account of Jesus and because of Jesus, because of the faith that has been given to us by the work of Jesus, we have a future in heaven that will not fade away, that will not spoil. And Peter references to this future as an inheritance. The inheritance that belongs to Jesus as the Son of God now belongs to us as well because of the faith that we have been given. And if we have an inheritance, then that solidifies our status as children. It is children that inherit. Peter is reminding us that we are children of God and that we have an inheritance in heaven, that we have a place in heaven with him for eternity. 
And what is this inheritance? It is our hope. It is the promise of God that those who believe in Jesus will one day rise from the dead as Christ rose from the dead. It is a living hope. And that we will forever live in heaven with God, with Jesus, celebrating, worshiping. That is the inheritance of faith. The inheritance of those who have faith in Jesus and so share in his inheritance. And God is even the one doing the verbs with the inheritance. He is the one taking action when it comes to our hope, for he is the one who is, as we read in verse 4, keeping this inheritance safe for you. For you. Those are two of the most powerful words in Scripture. For you. This work has been done for you, on your behalf, in your place, without assistance from you. You don't get to participate. This isn't a group project. This has been done for you. This hope is being guarded, protected for you, church. Rest in that. Rest in that. Be covered and comforted by that, by those two fantastic little words. For you. And those two words only become more relevant as Peter keeps writing and we keep reading. For now we reach a part where Peter acknowledges the hardships that the church is facing. He writes that he knows they have been facing struggles and trials. That they have been grieved in a wide and, and varied array of situations. And then he writes that the church, that, that we go through these trials so that the proven genuineness of our faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed in the end. And we look at that and we go, man, so this is what we do, right? This is what we get to do. We make sure that our faith is genuine. We have to prove that our faith is real, that, our, that our ta this is our task and our mission. We go through trials so that God can see if we have maintained our faith to the proper point, to the acceptable genuineness level, to test and see if our faith is genuine. And then if we pass the test, we bring glory and honor to God in the end when Christ is revealed. This is what we get to do. And, and, and I get how we read it that way. Like, I understand the, the angle that we come at it from. And, and as a broken human, I totally understand why I kind of want to read it that way. But that's not how this works. That's not what Peter is talking about here. Again, this is promise language. Peter is giving us hope. He's not giving us homework. For the truth is that it was God who has given the faith. He is the author of faith. He is the perfecter of faith. And he is the one who is guarding you in your faith. This passage isn't meant to give you homework. It's meant to strengthen your hope. For this is Peter encouraging us, the scattered and the broken, that faith will carry us through. That faith is genuine because God has made it genuine. And that, that he is the one who crafted it. He is the one who protects it. He is the one that causes it to grow and develop in us. And he is doing all of this for us. For us. For you. So what Peter is actually saying is that yes, you will face trials. But God is going to use these trials for your benefit. 
He's going to use them to strengthen you, to build them up. And that when Jesus comes, when he comes again, we'll be so incredibly ready for his coming, for the end of this journey. And we'll be filled with gratitude. And we will proclaim praise and heap glory and honor upon Jesus Christ. My last living grandparent passed away a few years ago. She was living in Washington at the time, and so it had been a while before she passed that I had last seen her. She was well into her 90s, and, and she had kind of become a bit of a shell of herself. She didn't, she didn't look like uh, my grandma really anymore, the woman who had been grandma or mama, as, as we called her for so many years. And as we were preparing to say goodbye to her, preparing to leave Washington to come home to Jersey, I knew that it would probably be the last time that we were together here on earth. And what's more, I mean, she knew it too. So we hugged each other and I, I told her that I loved her. And as we ended the embrace and held each other at arm's length, for a moment the twinkle returned to her eye and she told me that we would see each other again and that she was ready to go home and meet Jesus. She was done with life on earth. She had gone through the trials. She had suffered. She had seen loved ones, friends pass away. She had lost her husband. She had lived a long life on a broken world, on a sinful world. She had suffered much. She had been blessed much. But she was ready. She was ready to go. And she was ready to meet Jesus. It would be another seven months. Another seven months before she would trade the embrace of a grandson with the embrace of her Savior. But I will never forget the joy the joy that I saw back in that face. My grandfather was, my grandmother was ready, not because my grandfather was too, but my grandmother was ready, not because she had proven her faith was genuine, but because God had established it as genuine and she was excited to meet her faith's author. I don't know where you are at today in your walk of faith. Some of us are like my grandmother and nearing the journey's end. Some of us still feel like we are just beginning. Some of us have not yet started. If you do not yet have faith, know that it is a free gift and that God longs to give it to you. He longs to have relationship with you. He loves you. He cares for you. He created you in his image and you mean so much to him that he sent his son to die for your sins, that he could have a relationship with you. And furthermore, know that I and the rest of the church are praying for you, praying that you join the family of God, and that you would have an inheritance in heaven that is guarded by the all-powerful creator of the universe. If you would like to know more, if you have any questions, please reach out. This is a conversation that I would love, would be blessed to have. Church, someday we will meet the author of our faith. And that will be an incredibly joyous day. A day that we will heap praise and glory and honor upon the one who has saved us, died for us, protected us, guarded us, kept us, and walked with us. But until that day comes, 
Rest in the promises that he has made. Rest in the security of the inheritance that he is protecting. Rest in the truth that he has chosen you. Rest in the work that his Holy Spirit is doing within you and rest in the faith that you were given, in the baptism that you received, and in the blood of Christ poured out for you. All of this for you. What an amazing, fantastic, and wonderful God we serve. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your provision. We thank you that you have done all of this for us, that we don't have the opportunity to to screw it up. And though we may have the desire to walk away from it, though we may walk away from it, that you do not abandon us, that you do not leave us, that you do not reject us, but that you use us and you are continually shaping us and forming us into the people that you want us to be. God, I just thank you and I praise you. I praise you for the faith that you have given us. I thank you that it is genuine. And God, I pray that you would help us to rest in that faith, to rest in the truth, to rest in your Son, in his blood shed on the cross for us. God, I just thank you so much for how you have blessed us and how you encourage us. And God, we give all this to you as we pray together in the way that you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.